Welcome to You Might Hate This Book, where each episode one of us will recommend a book to the other. A book that we love that we suspect our co-host might hate. Well, hate is a strong word. How about falls outside of their traditional scope of interest. Fine, that's fair. A book they would never have chosen to read otherwise. We'll read the assigned book, then come back together to discuss. Did you love it? Or did you hate it? So you agree we might hate it. (sighs) Yeah, you might hate it. I'm Stephanie. And I'm Hannah. And you might hate this book. storming it is storming so if you hear that sorry we, a well-timed clap of thunder yeah we can't control the weather but that would be nice though if it like went off right at the right time very ominous that's happened to me a couple of times when i've been teaching it's so Ooh. much fun like teaching an edgar Allan poe story and here we go thunderclap i love yes, that i do too that's special mm-hmm. um well you mentioned something earlier this week that i wanted to bring up once we were recording you read normal people i did because we had the episode, Conversations with Friends, the the one book we both hated. Yep. <laughs> but I liked the style, so I did read Normal People. Okay. Liked it a lot better. Okay. They were still, like, the characters were still a bit obnoxious. Sure. But not nearly so much as in a conversation with friends. And I think it's because you got to follow the two main characters over a longer span of time. Okay. So, like, years, where you start with them in high school, like, their last year of our equivalent of high school, and then through most of their college years. Okay. So you get to see their growth as characters, even with their flaws. And they do grow. (laughs) Yes. I mean, they still have flaws, but you do see a progression, and it's two different points of view. Yeah. It alternates, so you're not just in one of their heads like you were with, what was her, Francis? Yeah, Francis. So when one of them would start getting... A little too self-centered, a little too much. It's Mm -hmm. like, oh, and we're going to go over here. And that also allowed you to see some of their, like, communication problems. Yeah. You you understood where each one was coming from. Kind of like what we talked about with the Bromance Book Club. Yeah. It was a little bit like that. Um, But the writing style was the same, and the problems still seemed very real. Like, small, very millennial. Like, a lot of it was around communication and identity and who am I and who are you. Um, So it felt fresh and real. Yeah. But more tolerable. <laughs> right. So star pancake wise, how would I think I gave it four stars. Okay. Yeah. Um, because there were still some, you know, annoyances sure. with the characters. Do you think I would like it better or just you liked it better? I think you would like it better than conversations with friends, but I don't know if it would be still not quite your thing. My plate of pancakes. Yes. Sure. Because okay. I think it's technically a romance. And that's the whole hmm. story. It's a guy and a girl, you know, over the years, how they come together, break apart, you know. I am at least curious. I I enjoyed it. I read it pretty quickly. Okay. Well, so, I'll put that in my back pocket for later. Yeah. It was, I... it was better than the first one. And the other thing I wanted to mention, thunder, thunder, thunder. (laughs) Um, We're going to take a tiny hiatus for the month of August. So this is not our last episode. Next week's will be. But I just wanted to go ahead and mention it. Hannah's leaving the country. So we're not going to try and, like, 
stockpile episodes to cover when she's gone. We just decided to take a break for the whole month of August, but we will be releasing Mm -hmm. content. So make sure you go and look. We will have some stuff releasing, but it will be from the vault bonus episodes. Yes. So stay on the lookout for that. There will still be something in your feed. I have a very important question for you. Yes. I might have an answer. (laughs) I'm actually really interested to hear this one. As opposed to all the other ones that I just asked you for no reason. I don't know. I'm always interested to hear from you. Oh, thanks. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Would you ever submit to being hypnotized, either in private or in public? Yeah, I think so. So, like, first question, would you ever do one of those, like, things where they do a performance for, like, a school and they call 20 people up and you, like, talk on your shoe like it's a phone. Yes, with, like, I would be more inclined to do that than like a private. Than like actual therapy. <laughs> yes, well that and also that's clearly for entertainment purposes. Like yeah. nobody's trying to mind control me. That's just like be silly on stage. Okay, like yeah. be uninhibited. I, I can do that. Okay. okay. See, I would have guessed that maybe you wouldn't do that. Well, I, I act in plays. So to me it's almost like yeah, not different. That's true. You do have, like, a an improv troupe side of you. Yeah. Um, but the, no, the, the, like, earnest yeah. hypnosis freaks me out a little bit. Sure. I'd, That's fair. Like, and I would do it, but I would have to have very strict, like, um, boundaries in place and, like, somebody, like, I'd want to know that there was somebody on my side that could be like, hey, I'm going to call this off for her. Like, sure. You know. Ideally, your therapist is on your side. <laughs> I'm not even, I don't know what I'm thinking about. Why would I be in hypnosis? Someone's, like, trying to trick you into, like, I don't okay, know. Okay, well, I'm thinking about, A, this book, and B, my other exposure to hypnosis is from the X-Files. Okay. <laughs> and Mulder tries to figure out how his sister got abducted by aliens. So you have a bad taste in your mouth about <laughs> hypnosis. Yeah. That's fair. I'll always be, like, really grateful to hypnosis because it cured my insomnia. The, what? The summer of 08. Uh, it was terrible. The yeah. summer before we met? Mm-hmm. What? I had such bad insomnia for months and months and months, and it got incredibly bad at church camp. Sure. Um, It was just terrible, and I would just stay up all night and then leave. No, the freaking camp they're like you have to be up at the flagpole at eight and you yeah. have to be at class at this the bell or bang the you pots. can never just be like i'm really tired it's the summer can i go back to bed the answer is no Mm-mm. and even during free time you're not supposed to be in your cabin you're supposed to be out doing something i was so tired yeah um and i think i'm like That's so funny you went to camp in texas i went to camp in northern indiana and yet our experiences are the same <laughs> yep <laughs> And so one night there was like one of those mentalist hypnosis, whatever, one of those guys. And he was like giving the pitch, like before I ask for volunteers, this is what's going to happen. And when you wake up from this one hour of hypnosis, you'll feel like you've had eight hours of solid sleep. And I stood up on my chair and I was like, pick me. (laughs) (laughs) Poor little sleep deprived stuff. Yes, I was like, you have to choose me, sir, please. It worked though. Really? I slept that night and didn't have trouble for the rest of the summer. And I was That's like, cool. I don't know. I did just shuffle around trying to put a fire out with my butt, but I did sleep afterwards. So, Sounds you know. Sounds good to me. Yeah. I'll never be like crappy on hypnosis because I was about to break with my lack of sleep and 
some guy who does yeah. it for entertainment helped me sleep through the rest of the summer. So it's inter- hypnosis is interesting. Yeah. And like EMDR is even more interesting to me. Right. And it's hypnosis adjacent. Yeah. That, I was just going to ask you. It's definitely not the same thing, but right. it has similar components. And there's like, like, I think those things work, but I also think they're the things that you have to have a willingness on the part of the participant or it's not going to work. Oh, yeah. It yeah. only it only can work if, you know. You're willing. No one can make you do it outside of your. Yeah, we're going to talk about that. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> sure. Um, <laughs> so this week's book is... A History of Wild Places by Shay Earnshaw. Yes. So this was one of my Book of the Month Club books. Okay. Um, and now I'm very interested to know if I have the cool version of the cover. I know. Or the slightly less cool version of the cover. I'm going to go home and check. I, so I noticed, so what Stephanie's talking about is I noticed on my Kindle copy, it was different than the copy you see on Goodreads. They're both like this foresty Rorschach blot thing. But on my Kindle, the Rorschach blot on the sides were like profiles of a man and a woman and it was so yeah. cool and then i got on goodreads it was like where'd that go it's just a blob it's just a blot yeah i kind of think i just i have the just a blob one because what? i feel like i would remember seeing the man and woman on my cover if it were there the man and woman one has to be a second edition right because it's cooler yeah why would you go back yeah i don't know anyway I'm curious about that so i'll but check when i go home and i'll let you guys know next week <laughs> they're both cool book covers yeah Shall I summarize? Yes, please. So the story follows three residents of a secluded, seemingly peaceful commune and the investigation and disappearance of two people from outside of this community. Travis Wren has an unusual talent for locating missing people. Often hired by families as a last resort, he takes on the case of Maggie St. James, a well-known author of dark, macabre children's books and is soon led to a place many believed to only be a legend. Called Pastoral, this reclusive community was founded in in the 1970s by like-minded people searching for a simpler way of life. By all accounts, the commune shouldn't exist anymore, and soon after Travis stumbles upon it, he disappears, just like Maggie St. James. Years later, Theo, a lifelong member of Pastoral, discovers Travis's abandoned truck beyond the border of the community. No one is allowed in or out, not when there's a risk of bringing in a disease called the rot into the pastoral community. Unraveling the mystery of where the abandoned truck came from reveals secrets that Theo, his wife Calla, and her sister B keep from one another. Secrets that prove their perfect, isolated world isn't what they believe. Um, it reminds me of, like, The Village by M. Night Shyamalan meets, like, noir detective novel. Okay, yeah, definitely village vibes. Yeah. And, like, the first 60 pages feel noir. Not after that. Yeah. Because the perspective changes. But, yeah. Okay. Two and a half pancakes. Okay. I gave it three and a half. Okay. Um, it wasn't terrible. Like, <laughs> it was a fun read um, in some ways, but it was lacking in other ways. What did, what did I write in my notes? I took them, so I should look at them. Sure. Uh, yeah. Good concept, mediocre execution. Sure. It's like the too long didn't read version. So, yeah, it was a fun read. Like, yeah. It was a quick read. I think you had mentioned that. On it's our very, last... I felt it was very fast. Yes, it was very fast. It almost, the way it was like formatted reminded me of They'll Never Learn. Yeah. Uh, because mm-hmm. very quick chapters. 
um, the alternating perspectives in each chapter. So it went very quickly. I just started it. Like, I think I read it in three or four days. Yeah. So it was not unenjoyable, but it was one of those books on closer inspection. I was like, <laughs> oh, yeah, there are some things lacking here. Sure. And I didn't even, I stuck with the rating I gave it when I was done because then when I went in and looked at some of the one star reviews, I was like, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, good mm-hmm. point. And I was like, but I'm not going to change my review because I think for what I'm viewing it, like for what it is, it is fine. Like, yeah, it's like if you, you know, it's like junk food reading. If you if you chemically dissect a Cheeto, you're not going to find much, <laughs> but they're still fun to eat. Sure. So that's kind of what... I uh, love Cheetos. Yeah. Only the crunchy ones, not the puffy I know. ones. My kids keep wanting the puffy ones. They're so gross. I, yeah, I know. So do you want to hear pros first? Cons? Um, Sure, pros. Okay. I, I love the concept mm-hmm. of this story. Love a good cult story. Yeah. It's a nice cult gonna story. We're going to talk about cults. Yep. So that's fun. I enjoy that. It was also, and I say mystery in quotes, but it was a good mystery in the sense that it was just this big puzzle. Yeah. There's a lot you don't know as the reader, and so you're trying to f- figure out. Not necessarily a mystery. It's mis- not a mystery like a cozy, cozy mystery book like a Nancy Drew mystery. Right. But there are mysteries. It's not even a mystery of like a whodunit. Yeah. Like there's not one thing that happened or one crime. I mean, you know this woman, Maggie, is missing, but there's such an abrupt shift in the narrative that you're like, wait, you don't know, like, even are these people alive or dead? Or am I looking for a murder? Or am yeah. I looking for a disappearance? What's You're not, going like, on? looking for murder clues throughout the whole thing. No, it's just a big puzzle, which mm-hmm. I enjoyed. I like puzzling. <laughs> Winston is about to do some puzzling. Watch New Girl. Okay. <laughs> um, I also really liked the dark fairy tale yeah. subplot. So the woman who goes missing, you mentioned is a writer of these macabre fairy tales. That's that's my jam. Yeah. You're, Kyle keeps, like, recommending these dark fairy tale um, graphic novels that he finds. And, like, I love that. Yeah. I think that's fun. The characters were generally interesting, I thought. And I already mentioned it was easy to read. Uh, very digestible. Which, this is where I was going to ask you, what do you define as a beach read? My first thought is easy to read. Yes. It, like, if I get distracted by someone, you know, throwing a beach ball down whatever. I haven't, like, completely lost the concept of what I'm reading. I don't have to sit and really, really focus and something that's just easy to enjoy. Like, I don't have to think hard about why I like this. It's just fast and easy and entertaining. Yeah. So based on your definition, which I agree with, this is a beach read to me. Okay. Which I know might be weird because it's a thriller. No, but like a, a beach read to me would also be a thriller yeah. probably. I, I feel like it, it gets like typecast as it's got to be a romance or a... Sure. But and now that there is a romance book called Beach Read. Literally. Which by the way is good. Right. Um. Yeah, but no, a beach read to me is just something that's like, I'm not doubting whether or not I'm going to like this when I pick right. it up. It's just going to be fun to read. Yeah, and I'm just along for the ride. I'm not trying yeah, to... Like I'm, not reading crime and punishment on the beach. No. <laughs> <laughs> so that would be terrible. So, like, those are all my pros. Yeah. This is a lot of a lot of good. Um, but again, execution, maybe not the greatest. Sure. There for as easy as I did find it to read, there was some odd things about the pacing. You mentioned Travis Wren. Mm-hmm. And like so the it's the book is broken up into five parts. 
And the first part is all just Travis. You're in his head. He's looking for this woman. He's a private eye. Yeah, he has a gift, like a supernatural gift, where he can touch an object and know some of the like history, can see what people did with the object or around the object. And so it that's the part that gives you that noir vibe. Mm-hmm. Like, okay. And when that part ends, it is so abrupt. Yeah. And then you just get thrown into the pastoral storyline. And you're suddenly with these three new characters, Theo, Calla, and B. And you don't even find out at first. Like, you don't even know. It, you know it's a different season because Travis, his part is happening in the winter. And when it abruptly shifts to pastoral, you're in the summer. So you know some time has passed, but you have no idea how, how much. Yeah. And then Theo finds Travis's truck in the woods. And so you're like, oh, is this even longer than a year? And it was just so strange. And then you never, well, I say you never come back to that story. There's a reason it's abrupt, but I felt like it could have been. In a different kind of book, in a They Never Learn, um, we would have gone back and forth between noir detective, pastoral, noir detective, pastoral. And there's a reason why we couldn't do that in this book. But I think that would have made you like it better. Maybe, and then also when when you do, I mean, we're spoiling, right? Yeah, we're going to spoil this. So, like, it turns out Theo is Travis, mm-hmm. um, and Calla is Maggie. They have forgotten who they are. So a lot of this story is them coming to terms with who they are, which is why in some ways you don't feel like you get back to Travis, because, like, by the time he realizes that and you realize that, there's this personality crisis and so Mm -hmm. you can't get fully back to where you were at the beginning but even that the end so like the first part and then the last part feels so different like it almost felt like i was reading three different books there was Mm -hmm. part one with travis part two through four in the middle where you're in this commune and then part five where it's like i don't even know what readjusting to the fact that we got communed yeah (laughs) so it was just and like i get why that happened because of the plot of the book but I feel like it could have been done with more finesse, maybe. Yeah, uh, it wasn't a very gentle hand. No, and just feeling like it almost felt lazy. Where it's like, and part one's over, and now we're going here. And it's like, oh, okay. Yeah. Um. So that was strange for me a little bit because I re- I did not know anything about this book going in. Yeah. I didn't read the synopsis, nothing. And so when I was reading the first part, I thought I knew what I was reading. Nope. <laughs> and then we get to the next part, and I'm like. Jokes on you. Okay. And all of the chapters within each part are titled by whose perspective you're reading from, Theo, Calla, and B. And I looked in the table of contents on my Kindle and realized that in all the parts till the end of the book, it's just those three characters. So I was like, so Travis never comes back? What happened? Yeah. Um, that would be confusing. Yeah. So another thing that uh, was a con for me, which I noticed when I was reading, and like if I had just been reading this on my own and not for the podcast... I wouldn't have looked this hard sure. into this, but since this is what we do. We might as well. Let's dissect here it. Here we are. Tear it right apart. It stretched the limits of credulity. Sure. <laughs> um, Travis's gift yeah. that I mentioned, it is never explained, like, how he got... I honestly forgot that that existed. Right, because it's... I thought he was just a It's a guy. big part at the beginning, and then it never... We never really revisit that. Oh, yeah. Does it not even come up, like, while It he's... comes back when he realizes... Like, his true identity. Oh, yeah. But it's, it is not, I cannot stress to you how not important to the plot it is. Like. Yeah. So why have something like that if it's not going to be. I mean, he uses that gift to track Maggie to the commune, but you could have done that in a number of ways. Just regular detective work. And there's nothing else in this book that's supernatural. 
Yeah. Not really. So it's like, why is it here? And it's just never explained. I put a quote. He there's a he has a phone conversation with his dad, and his dad literally says, "You have the gift, kid. Tough luck." Mm. Like that's just that's how I felt as the reader. Like, yeah, here it is. I yeah, I'm not gonna argue with you at all. Uh, I don't like when something bends between realistic and supernatural without really good reason. Yes. Or without doing it properly. And it didn't when I started looking at it in that first part. It doesn't even really have well-defined rules for how his gift works because he has this charm, right, that he holds in his hand to help track Maggie. And so he's using that charm in his hand, right? And then he says, but then the image is splintered apart. I was too far away from her. I needed to get closer to the place where the police found her abandoned car. I was like, okay, but you have the charm. Why you need to be near her car if you have her charm? And then later when he's miles from the car... He sees her again through the charm. So I'm like, wait, how does proximity work to these objects? Right. I am confused. But it didn't confuse me for long because we quickly abandoned. Because <laughs> we never go back we to it. We quickly abandoned that plot device. Anyway, also B's character, who I think is my favorite character. Mm-hmm. That um, makes sense to me. B is is Kala's sister, or she thinks she's Kala's sister, right? She's grown up in this commune. She's blind. And I understand that when you lose a sense... Other senses are heightened, like your sense of hearing and smell. But she has supersonic hearing. (laughs) Like, she can hear heartbeats and blood flow. They use her when they are birthing babies in this commune to tell them what the heartbeat of the baby is. Like, and if the baby is okay. I'm like, that's... I don't understand. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know if that's physically possible, but I think it's worth asking. It's just so... It was weird, and it didn't feel like the author was trying to pass it off as a supernatural thing. It was just like, well, she's blind, so, so she, she can, can hear heartbeats. So she can hear really well, and by really well, I mean she's their human ultrasound. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. It was very strange, um, but I found her very charming, so yeah. I just moved on. And then the hypnosis plot. Hypnosis. <laughs> so the whole twist is that Travis came to this commune, he found Maggie, but the cult leader of this commune wanted them to stay. He's trying to keep everybody here. Nobody can leave. That's the thing, right? So he hypnotizes them into forgetting who they are and not only forgetting who they are, but giving them false memories. Maggie becomes Kala and she thinks she has grown up here and is B's sister. And I'm like, hypnosis is cool. I believe it's possible, but you have to be willing Right. These people were not willing? How does this work? For years. I forget if the book explained any of this, but, like, you could say, like, you know, you need to be hypnotized for this. Like, someone could be willing under the... I don't know. But I don't think someone can trick you in hypnosis. Like, you... I have been hypnotized, and I'm like, this person's asking me to do a stupid thing. Yeah. Do I want to do that? Yeah, sure, why not? Like, it's... Or when you I don't submit think you... to it for therapy purposes, like you're yeah. obviously signing up for it. Yeah. I don't think it can take you to a place that you're not willing to go. But he uses it as a form of mind control. And it's like, I don't think, I don't think that's how that works. Which there are ways to manipulate people in sure. that way. But like, sure. I don't, hypnosis is not. And the, in one of the characters does mention, I can't remember if it was B or Kala, but they both like, I think it was B. She really wanted a sister. And so he was giving her what she wanted. So there were some aspects of it where they were being given what they wanted. They were given a family. He brought Theo and Kala 
slash Travis and Maggie together to fall in love because they wanted to fall in love. Yeah, they wanted and, like, a everyone family. wanted to be in this community. So, like, in a way, they well, wanted these things. You learn that, like, Travis's life as a PI stunk. Mm-hmm. And he needed a family, and Maggie didn't have a good relationship with her mom. She needed a family. So in that sense, he was giving them what they wanted. But they also wanted to leave. Yeah. <laughs> and he hypnotized them into thinking they have always lived here. I'm like, you can't. And it, it goes on for years. And the other thing that was never explained is why it starts wearing off. Like, right. it, it starts wearing off on Theo slash Travis, because mm-hmm. he just keeps wanting to go out in the woods and explore, which is when he finds his truck, which is kind of the beginning of the unraveling. So I get how his discovery spurred on Kala's and B's, but there's never really any explanation for, well, why did he... I think it starts, quote-unquote, wearing off because when you start challenging it. Yeah. It was working perfectly, I guess, when no one was challenging it, but then he finds his truck and, like, he has a conversation with Kala and she starts to, like, when doubt creeps in, that's when it quote-unquote fades. It's not like right. the power of the magic. like. And that, that makes sense, but he, even before he found that truck, he kept breaking the rule of, you can't pass the boundary. Like, right. he was doing that for months before he found the truck and not telling Kala. Yeah. So it's like, what? I don't know. It was just ill-defined. Again, I think it's a cool concept, but yeah. it needed to be executed more clearly. Um, so, yeah. it. I I mean, I rem- I gave this book four stars. You gave it three and a half. Yeah. Like, it's honestly... Okay, so like, here we are. Like, fine. I read it, and I was like, that was really fun. I don't know that you can do that. Yeah, it was... <laughs> but I just, like, got over it. It was a fun read. And like I said, all of these things, I was totally willing to just be like, okay. <laughs> Sounds good. Uh, but, yeah, I'm pretty sure you cannot do that. Uh, no, I don't think that... I don't think it works that way. No. Uh, And then my other con was just general bad writing. Oh, no. Like, clunky and bland. I found it pretty repetitive. Again, easy to read, Mm -hmm. but somewhat repetitive. My first big letdown were the Eloise and the Foxtail chapters. Oh, yeah. So Eloise and the Foxtail is the children's story that Maggie St. James wrote that I said, I love this concept, dark fairy tale. And you get these little chapter snippets in between. Uh, the parts and even some chapters, but they were all very same feeling. Like yeah. I was excited when I first saw, oh, I get a chapter of this. Okay, cool. And they weren't very, they, they were fine. Yeah. They were underdeveloped. They were underdeveloped. They were tangentially related to what was happening in the chapters, but it wasn't clear enough, the parallels. So uh, that was a little bit of a letdown because I've seen that trope used a lot in books lately. Like you mm-hmm. get... I read a book recently, Unlikely Animals, and it did that. It had these little excerpts from a book within the story that you're yeah. reading. And that's fun to me. I like that. And I've given you at least one where that, well, spoiler alert, had script bits. Yes. Um, Was and, there one with a book that had? Well, The Power had that framing device. Yeah. Because um, I remember you've said several times, could have done without that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, this one, it just, I was excited, and then it, it let yeah. me down. There was not a lot of differentiation between voice, I felt like. Because mm-hmm. you have these three characters mainly where the chapters are jumping between their perspectives. The one I could tell apart the most was B. I think only because she was blind. Not because <laughs> the writing style was any different. Yeah, but, but because, because things have to be explained differently because she cannot see. Because suddenly you can hear everything. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but 
I found myself multiple times when I was in a Theo or a Kala chapter forgetting who was narrating. And then they would say, like, oh, my wife. And I'm like, wait, I thought this was... Oh, okay. Like, yeah, that's not good. No, it was not great. Um, there was lots of telling, not showing mm-hmm. in this book. Uh, and it became a little bit repetitive at times. I have some quotes as examples of... I don't even know what to call this. Some of it was just, like, blah writing. This is Travis describing Maggie. She was more bone than anything else. Not unhealthy, but a woman who didn't seem suited to long treks in the wilderness. She was a coffee shop and gluten-free croissant kind of woman. Leisurely strolls through a city park, maybe. But certainly not this. (laughs) I was like, that's a weird way to describe somebody. (laughs) I kinda like it. (laughs) And this I... I brought that up specifically because this idea of civilization equals coffee shops <laughs> comes up so much in this book. Really? Like, the before part, that's the part one. And then in part five, it's like, we're out in the real world now. Coffee shops, TV. <laughs> I can see you in a coffee shop. Like, he says that about her later. Can I see her in a coffee shop now? And it's like, <laughs> why is this the mark of civilization? I don't know. A place is not fully civilized until it has three Starbucks. Yeah, the there was also, they're just clunky sentences. And when I started writing down some examples, I don't know if she understands prepositions. <laughs> oh, no. Here's, here's an example. Right now, I feel only the strangeness of what's been done. How swiftly life can be squeezed and snapped from a person. Squeezed from, I get. Snapped from? Mm. Does that, I read that sentence and was like, oh. That's strange. Yeah. Or how about this? I forgot that he was to blame. I forgot that his words into my ears started it all. His word. I forgot his words into my ears. That is a weird way of saying I, that. It, yeah. I was like, okay. And a small part of me is also worried I won't be able to remember the man I used to be. The man I was out here. From the man I became. That's just its own sentence. From the man I became. There were lots of sentence fragments, mm-hmm. which is fine, but like it became... Too many of those. I know, and I was like, prepositions, man. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. And these I are, don't disagree with you about this. This is those so nit this is so nitpicky. <laughs> like, <laughs> if I was not reading this for this podcast, I'd probably be like, oh, that was a weird sentence. Moving on. Like, yeah. Anyway, my final one that I also just thought was a weird sentence. Did you two fell down? <laughs> <laughs> I did not fall down. <laughs> fell down. <laughs> Theo is my husband because my skin cannot bear to be without him, not because Levi made us marry. My skin? There's so many things wrong with it. First of all, somebody made you get married, and you're like, but I love him. (laughs) And then also your skin. My my, my My skin skin cannot be without him. Like, I've heard metaphors be used for love about, like, you know, if you feel it in your bones or, like, that kind of thing, but that one just was weird. Yeah, no, I don't disagree. Um, So, yeah, those are... Those are my big cons. Um, should we talk about the ending real quick? Sure, why not? I So at the end, they leave Pastoral. Um, they figure out who they really are. Maggie meets up with her parents. And then they realize, yeah, I don't like it here. I think I'm going to go back. And when I say they go back, the evil cult leader is no longer there. B took care of him. Mm-hmm. she's leading the commune now. So it's actually what it was meant to be, like just a respite from the world. People can come and go. Nobody's making you stay. Nobody's hypnotizing you. Travis and Maggie go back, and that's where they decide to live. And I was fine with that. Yeah. I was like, this is interesting. I can see there were some reviewers that felt like it was very Stockholm Syndrome and yeah. like, problematic. I feel like I would have more trust issues 
like I might want to go back, but I'd be like, yeah, but what happened last time? Well, the fact that the other person who was also brainwashed and that they lived with and felt like was their new family is now running the place yeah. probably helped. But I definitely can see where some people would have issues with it. Sure. Uh, but I did like that it kind of brought up the complicated nuances around what is home and mm-hmm. how do you define home? Yeah. And where do you feel at home? So um, I, li- I liked the ending. There was some extra plot stuff with Maggie and her mom at the very end that yeah. got thrown in that I was like, that it was kind of like the uh, the gift of Travis. That that didn't need to be there. <laughs> so that's my hot take. Okay. Well, I have an optional thing to do. I came up with a cult quiz. And by I came up with, I mean that I Googled it and it already existed. I'm not sure why I said I came up with. That's okay. Um, but you I, found it. I found here a cult quiz. Ten questions asking which... Which cult, this one or that one, did this particular thing? I don't know that you'll actually know the answers. Oh. But do you want to do it? We, we can, can try. Are, what are my two options of cults? I mean, they're different every time. Oh, okay. Okay. Question one. Members of which cult were told that God was an alien, the Branch Davidians, or Heaven's Gate? Um, I'll go with the first one. Branch Davidians? Yep. Nope. I don't know either of those. <laughs> oh, no. This is going to be a really tough quiz. I know Jim Jones. <laughs> He's not on this list. What? <laughs> oh. Unless Heaven's Gate is... No, I don't think it is. I, I know... I feel like I know cult leaders' names. Yeah. More than I know the cult. I didn't know several of these cults, which is why I asked, like, maybe we shouldn't do this, but... Give me another one. We'll see what Okay. Happens. Question two. Which cult made its home in Waco, Texas? The Branch Davidians or Children of God. I've heard of this cult. I do not know what its name is. The Branch Davidians? It's Branch okay, Davidians. Good. Thank you. Stephanie um, gave me a little nod. <laughs> you said it last time. Uh, question three. Which cult would charge members to drink their leader's blood? Oh, gross! <laughs> Scientology or Um Shinriko? I'm going to go with that one. Um Shin. Yep. What is that? I don't know. Which cult required that male members be surgically castrated? <gasps> Heaven's Gate or the Brethren? Uh, the Brethren? Heaven's Gate. Oh, man. I was thinking boys. Is it, was sure, boy, sure. No? I know. That's why I put that one in there. Uh, Actors Joaquin Phoenix and Rose McGowan mm. were born into which cult? The People's Temple or Children of God? Children of God. Children of I God. I did know that one. Which cult operated as a therapy center and a commune? The Sullivan Institute or Um Shinriko? Uh, I'm going to hope it's the Sullivan Institute. Yes. Okay, good. Not the blood drinking ones. <laughs> what cult was featured in a Netflix documentary called Wild Wild Country? Bhagwan Sri Ranjish or Heaven's Gate? Heaven's Gate? Nope, it's the other one. I'm... I couldn't say it. So... Now I want to... <laughs> I'm going to go with B because I can't say A. <laughs> Which cult attests that humans are genetically engineered by aliens, Scientology or realism? Scientology. Nope, it's the what? other one. Uh, they've got something with aliens. Scientology probably believes that too, which is, yeah. I don't know. Which cult believes its members should abandon all modern comforts, the Sullivan Institute or the Brethren? The Sullivan Institute? No. no. The Brethren. Crap. Last question. Which cult commonly marries members by the thousands, the Unification Church or the People's Temple? The People's Temple. Unification. Oh, man. I know. I wouldn't have known any of these either, which is why I was like, maybe we shouldn't do this. But I just wanted, I just wanted to talk about weird cult stuff. My cult knowledge is lacking. I would have thought that I had more cult knowledge. 
We have not spent enough time on Netflix documentaries. I know. Clearly. Now I want to watch that. I would have thought that my cult knowledge would be better because I have often stated that I think I would do well in a very specific kind of cult. <laughs> <laughs> but this is probably one of the ways in which I'm actually not very self-aware because I suspect I'm wrong about this, that I think I would do well in a cult, which I guess is actually pretty self-aware. But um, what kind of cult? Okay. I like the idea of a secluded community in the woods completely come off, cut off from the rest of society. That does have an appeal to me. Like Which is I, what this book, pastoral is that. Yeah, like I want to live in a cult that includes lots of like gardening and sewing and laying down in beds of grass and looking at the clouds while yes. the school bell rings in the distance. Like no paying dues or like weird sex stuff or drinking blood. Like my cult would be really chill. Like live off the land, let's go back to bartering. Yeah. Yeah. Be really chill, like of of the village esque. That's how pastoral in this book is portrayed. Yeah. And yes. I was like, I could probably get down with that. Again, I think I'm probably wrong. Maybe I would. Sure. <laughs> I like my modern. You comforts. would want to be too individual too. I think. Yeah. Like the that I think that would get to you. Like yeah. being basically a nobody. I. <laughs> You know me really well. <laughs> um, I have anxiety and want that to be removed by essentially taking away all of the pressures of the modern world. But also, how can I be unique right? in a commune? I know. And I have to make my own way in the world like, and you're stand unique, out. You're unique with... Unique? What, unique with? <laughs> Your uniqueness, unique New York, um, can <laughs> only come from like... Oh, well, you're the girl with the herb garden. Or you're the girl who <laughs> bakes the bread. I would just get myself into trouble in the commune and, like, get kicked out, probably. <laughs> so, yeah. I Except in pastoral. You can never leave. Never leave. Yeah, so there's a part of me that thinks I would enjoy this. I realize I probably actually would not. Should we define pastoral a little more? Sure. So it's it's one of those, like, secluded from the world, live off the land, communes... I've said this, and now I have no idea what to add to that. What else is there? Um, They don't have any modern science or medicine. Yeah. It's all herbal. And the thing in the book is it was founded to be a respite, but people could, like, come and go. Yeah. And about 12 years prior to the events of the book, they got a new leader. And people stopped coming and going. And people started believing that... There is a disease beyond their borders that they see the trees opening up and like sap running out and they call it the rot and you can get elm pox from it. Again, turns out that was all part of the hypnosis. Not only did he hypnotize those three people into forgetting who they were, he hypnotized the entire community. Into seeing the trees this way. And, and into seeing people. Like, there's a scene where they cut somebody to see if their blood is red or black with the pox. And everybody sees the blood as black mm -hmm. because of his hip... Which, group hy hypnosis is a thing. And yeah. Like, that was actually less ridiculous to me than... Some of the other stuff. The specific people he hypnotized, but... Yeah. Carly Quadros of the Portland Monthly, I... Got a lot of information from an interview that she did. Um, With called, the author? Yeah. Oh, okay. Um, called this book a blend of noir, folk horror, and social drama. It's got, like, the dark, hard-boiled private investigator, a missing woman, a dark mystery to be solved, but then switches up the traditional noir by replacing the big troublesome city with a commune in the woods. 
and they're all there to escape the big troublesome city. But now that I am remembering better how the book is framed, I actually kind of take that back. It doesn't blend them very well. It chops them into pieces. Right. Um, but Pastoral is an idealized back-to-the-land community that appeals to lots of people, including myself. And when asked in this interview what her inspiration for Pastoral was, Earnshaw mentioned that she grew up in Antelope, Oregon, which is a really small town where the Ranjipsh... Ranjish Puram community was established in the 1980s. So this was like one of the big 1980s famous cults. Okay. And so she says in this interview, I even remember one day my dad saw a fleet of Rolls Royces being driven out for the leader of the community. I was really fascinated by the juxtaposition of that. Here's this community that was really living off the land, doing subsistence farming, and yet they had some of these really outrageous luxuries. Obviously, I had a lot of questions about that that weren't necessarily answered at the time. I really grew up being curious about communities like this. Is this type of lifestyle sustainable or is it destined to fail? I think communes are really interesting social experiments. And that was really the question I had when I sat down to write this book. Can a community like Pastoral exist and thrive or will it destroy itself? I think there really is a fine line between paradise and madness. Interesting. Yeah. That brings up to me, too. I feel like we've unfairly interchanged the words cult and commune. Yeah. Which are not the same. Yeah. And I would I would call, in this book, pastoral a commune. Yeah. They happen to have a corrupt leader that mm -hmm. tried to turn it into a cult, but it was pretty much all around him. And once you remove him from the equation... It really is a commune. It was not a cult. It was a commune. Yeah. I think people who like cults would vibe with this book. That's why I bring it up. But, right. like... No, those two things are not the exact same. It's funny because this pastoral-esque lifestyle, like, really what it comes down to is that I'm, like, world-weary and mm -hmm. I would like yes. to go be, like, a wood nymph yeah. and live in a tree and never have to wear a bra or hear what someone said on Twitter again. But, yes. like, actually, would I want to do that? No. Um, I don't know that it translates very well, like, if me, who I am, and the world how it is, if it would translate into a society like pastoral and... That's always my doubt is, like, would it really work in mm -hmm. this picturesque, like, now it's all so relaxing kind of way? Would that actually be what happens? Would it just be backbreaking labor yeah, every day? Sure. And so this quote from that same interview uh, kind of, like, pinpoints that doubt for me. Uh, she says, Earnshaw says, in this book, there's a real beauty in being cut off from the outside world. Our current society is really not doing well. I think we are the definition of an ill society. There's a fascination and a curiosity about escaping from that and trying to create something different. The question is, do the trappings of government and society and organization follow you wherever you go? Could that follow you into the woods, into a small, isolated community like Pastoral? It's nice to think that maybe you could create something different, but I wonder if the corruption of power and leadership finds a way into any community of any size. Mm. And I think that's interesting. It's like, you can't take the, the person out of the person. Yeah. You know, like, wherever people are, we will go messing Somebody's about. Somebody's going to try and corrupt it or... Yeah, know. like... From the very beginning, people have been people in all over the yeah. place, and you can narrow down the group to just two, and yep. still one or both of you is going to suck. <laughs> so. And it's sad because, like, this, the the group, the commune pastoral in this book seemed to be doing okay for many years yeah. until their old leader died, and they just happened to pick the guy that was 
awful yeah. to be the leader. So, like, maybe it can work for a while, but I think the point is, like, eventually people gonna be people, mm-hmm. people be people in, and we are awful. But you know what? Something that was brought up multiple times in this book, and I'm not sure how I feel about it now, knowing that many of the community members were hypnotized. Also, it's never clear if they're all hypnotized or just a few or what. I thought all of them were. Like, I know they all were about the pox, but as far as their backstory... Oh, that, yeah, I don't know. Like, I don't know. But um, one of the characters, I can't remember which perspective, but one of them brings up multiple times, like, yes, he did these things, but we all let it happen. Yeah. We stood by and watched when, you know, X happened and so that was interesting that the author seemed to be trying to point that out too like yes it may be a corrupt leader but if you're following that leader yeah and you're letting them do it you are complicit yeah you should not stand idly by right. whilst someone is buried alive yeah like in this book you should say something was, sir stop burying him alive that was the weirdest yeah it was like horrific but also not in the way you would typically think something's horrific so, like, the whole time they keep, keep referencing the ritual to make mm-hmm. sure you don't have the pox. And I'm, like, I was worried. I was thinking, oh, no, this is something gross. They just bury these guys alive up to their necks for three days. And essentially, like, they dehydrate to death. It's awful. Yeah. That's a long time. Like, just kill them fast. It was or awful. Or don't kill people. It was, like, oh, anyway, that was yeah. weird. That was weird. That's bad behavior. Don't do that. Yeah, no, no. Mm-mm. One of the things I really liked about this, probably, like, the thing I liked the most about this book was how atmospheric it was. Yes. And very. it happens to be in an atmosphere that I personally really jive with. Um, my My two most recent books that I've written take place almost entirely in the woods. Mm. And both books are about secluded communities that like enmeshed households that have toxic relationships that are secluded in the forest separate from the rest of the world. Um, they have, both of these books have a little bit of a culty vibe, oh, not, yeah. not in that they have an actual cult, but in like a people have been manipulated kind of way. Um, yes. And they both explore both the like safety and danger of being in and among the trees. Like, I mm-hmm. go into the forest to be safe from the outside world. Also, there are dangers by being that, you know, secluded. And um, by being secluded, you can become the danger. Yes. Mm-hmm. And so this book was very like something I would write. And yeah. the atmosphere was very something that I would write. It was very atmospheric. Yeah. And I felt the language describing the setting set a very distinctive mood. And this book, like, to me, this book had a color palette and a soundtrack. And Mm -hmm. it felt just like a full sensory experience. And to me, that was just very enjoyable. And again, Mm -hmm. this is an atmosphere that I like putting myself in. Right. Um, And so that's something that I just really enjoyed about it. And Earnshaw even stated that she decides the setting of a book first and then, and like chooses what kind of atmosphere she wants to portray. And then the plot comes second, which is actually how I write too. Oh, okay. Like both of those books that I was talking about, I was like, I want a secluded house in the woods with a bunch of women. Like I want a bunch of women living on a mountain off the Appalachian Trail. Nice. How do they get there? What happens to them? Like that's how I wrote my most recent book. So I was like, that's interesting that she does that too. It's funny how many writers, the more I read about them, don't start with, like, the story or the characters. Yeah. They start with something you wouldn't think. Yeah, I've always started with, like, 
my first book, I had an opening sentence and I was like, I really want to use this sentence. Mm -hmm. What happens after that? Don't know, but I'm going to write this sentence down. And my second one, I had a concept, mm -hmm. this like haunted house that, yeah, like the haunted house concept. There's more to it than that. I didn't like come up with a haunted house. <laughs> um, I know, it's fine. Um, and then the third one was the atmosphere, like That's the... Cool. Yeah. Murakami, one of my favorite authors, he always gives himself basically a, what I would call a style challenge. Ooh. Like in this book, I'm good, like he wrote from first person for so long that like he got to a well, Kafka on the Shore was his book. Yeah. He started with I'm going to write from a dual two different first person perspectives. Yeah. And then he did a third third person, you know, and um so it's always just like a challenge exercise. Like what what stylistic challenge will I set for myself today? And that's the next book he writes. Yeah. Um, and we've already talked about how it was really pacey. Like, it's some of the chapters are so short, they're like only one and a half pages. Yes. Like, they're really short. So, and you're switching between perspectives and stuff. So, it's just one of those books where it's like all of a sudden it's the middle of the night and now you only have 30 pages to the end. So, I mean, why not just finish yes. it? And that's just kind of what happens to that's you. That's how I finished it. <laughs> yeah. And you just kind of can't help it because they're just so quick that you're like, I mean, I might as well read this all in one sitting. And, and then I also, if you're a busy person, like I've been reading The Heart's Invisible Furies. Yeah. And sometimes I'm like, I got to get to a place where I can stop. I need a good stopping point. And you keep going. This one has plenty of stopping points. Like, yeah. You can pick it up and come back to it. And it's yeah. not... So I essentially just sat down, read the whole thing till I was done. <laughs> like That's basically what I maybe did. Maybe two or three sittings, but it was quick. Um, lastly, I, well, now I'm not sure if I want to say this. I like the concept of the lesson about the power of the human mind. But as, we, as we've discussed, I'm not sure that this is actually possible, but things like it are possible. Right. Like, people can do this crazy group think thing where yes. all of a sudden we're all behaving in a crazy way. I mean, that doesn't even have to have like isolation or whatever. It happens, you know, at the scene of an accident, all of a sudden everyone's, you know. Right. Um, and I just think like the psychology, psychology behind that is just mm -hmm. interesting. I don't think exactly what happens in this book is real, but things like it are. Right. And, Again, I think it was just underdeveloped because I can yeah. see where she was trying to get you there when she mentions that, like, they all wanted a family. And so they got what they wanted through their hypnosis. Mm -hmm. But it was like, took the story beat too far. Or yeah. Maybe just a little bit lazy. I don't know. Yeah. One thing I thought was funny, again, from this interview um, with the Portland Monthly, Earnshaw writes, I started writing this book back in 2017. If I had known then that I would be writing a book about a group of people living in isolation, <laughs> fearing a strange disease within their community, and that this book would be released in 2021 during COVID times, I might have rethought the book I was working on. You know what? Props to the author, because I didn't even make that connection. Neither did I. When you say it like that, obviously, like... Neither did I, though. They're but isolated, afraid of a disease, but it didn't feel... It's not a pandemic book, though. No, no. Like, there are books that are, like, about a pandemic. This is not like that. No. But, yeah, I read that sentence, and I was like, I see it. I see it now. Yep. It also <laughs> makes me feel good that we're far enough away from COVID. That not everything point. feels like COVID. <laughs> that I read this and didn't think of COVID. Yeah, we're in a special place now. Um... <laughs> So Shay Earnshaw lives in a really rural town in like a mountain town in Oregon. That's where we get all these like Oregon vibes. She won the 
2019 Oregon Book Award, and she's written other books called The Wicked Deep, Winterwood, and A Wilderness of Stars. And I'm noticing a lot of W's and a yeah. history of wild, wild places. So I don't know if she's got a thing for W's, but that's that's all I have. They have but. nice uh, covers, too. Yeah, I've looked up some of the other ones. The other ones, I think, are all YA. Oh, okay. But I'm interested in reading some of the others. They have better reviews than this one, so maybe you would like them better, too. I was going to ask you about that, because when I was looking at some of the one-star reviews, one guy mentioned that this was YA, and I said, what? Uh-uh. This did not seem it's like... It's not a, YA. No, I didn't think so. I don't know if he just was familiar with her other work that is maybe. YA. Yeah, like, this is distinctly called, like, her first foray into adult. Okay, okay, so that guy was just wrong. Yeah. Cool, got it. He just wrong. <laughs> okay. And it makes sense knowing now that she writes other YA books. Yeah, one review even compared it to um, another YA book, The Hazelwood. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. Speaking of. Drop some one-star reviews on me. I have three for you here. Um, here we go. First one is from Amanda. Very promising start, but then it just was not good. An <laughs> imitation of the village, but not nearly as scary or well-written. Travis has an ability, until he doesn't. <laughs> I was ready to love where that storyline took us, and it just fell off a cliff and died. I find out... To find out that essentially these people were all hypnotized into staying at Pastoral was the biggest letdown in my recent history of reading. And why? Levi's motivation never ever gets revealed beyond, it's just bad out there in the real world. <laughs> That's something I didn't really think about until I read these reviews. And I'm like, why was he doing this? What is the point? Sure. I trudged through a very tedious plot line only to be horribly disappointed at the very last minute. The twist of Theo and Kala was groan-inducing. I rarely ever give one-star ratings, but this, this book, was such a letdown. <laughs> I'm so sorry, Amanda. There were many reviews that I wanted to share and didn't because of time, but that were like, I feel tricked. And yeah. This was like, it was all a dream. and <laughs> It was all a dream. Kind of like how I felt about yeah. my last book. <laughs> I didn't feel that way about this book, though. Right. It does feel different to me, but I can see how someone else might feel like it's the I same. I will say it was predictable. I did predict the hypnosis, but, like, it didn't bother me. I don't know. Okay. It was just... I don't remember if I predicted it or not. I mm. feel like I probably didn't, or I wouldn't have liked it as much. Jacqueline. The question I asked myself through the entire read, is this just a bad imitation of the village, which is a bad imitation of running out of time, or am I crazy? Turns out I'm not crazy. <laughs> There were so many one-star reviews. I did compare it to The Village right off the bat. I know, and when you said that, I was I was chuckling inside. <laughs> even The Blind Girl. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. It's it's real close. I didn't even think about The Blind Girl. I was just like, yep. what is running out of time? You don't... Oh, this is a great book. It's a YA novel. I read it in fourth grade. It is about a girl. It's about The Village. <laughs> yes, it is about this girl who lives in a very primitive you know, woodsy society, and a breakout of diphtheria happens. Mm. And her mother is, like, the medicine woman or whatever, and she sends her daughter. She basically tells her daughter the secret of, we're actually living in a compound. And I think it's it's been a while since I've read this fourth grade, but they're living in this, like, compound that have cameras everywhere, and they're, like, watched. It's like a historical experiment almost oh and the adults know but the kids don't 
And so all these kids are getting sick, but they're not sure if, like, the people who run it anymore are going to send them medicine. So this woman sends her daughter, who's, like, a young kid, out into the real world. And so she passes the concrete barrier, and, like, she gives this girl clothes that she's, like, I remember she has this shirt that has, like, a smiley face on it. And she's, like, what is this? (laughs) And she goes into the real world to get the medicine and bring back. That is, like, the village. Yep. Mm -hmm. Um... But it's, like, a kid's book. It, I, I was going to say, like, this is fourth grade. This is a kid's book? Yeah, like, I read it the same year we read The Mixed Up Files of Mrs. Basily Frankenwire. And... Oh, that's a sentence. That's another good... Yeah. <laughs> okay. We got to talk about Do not books. assign me any more children's books. I still have... <laughs> <laughs> it's these kids that get stuck in a museum. Okay. It's Night at the Museum. It's not... <laughs> Before Night at the Museum. I want to just do a domino game where it's like, it's this, which is this, which is this, which is this, until... There is nothing new there under are, the sun. There are no original stories. <laughs> if you think you're being original, you're not. <laughs> so, yeah, I liked that because it called out running out of time. And then there were just so many comparing yeah. it to the village. Yeah, which I did, too. Yeah. I do love the village, though. I don't actually remember if I've ever watched it all the way through. <gasps> it's like one of those movies that... I don't know, has just become so much part of cultural knowledge. I ask myself, did I watch that? <laughs> or do I just know about it? I don't know. Well, I'm sad for you if you haven't watched it, because I, I just really like it. But I I don't know. I love Emily Shemalone. We always go through, like, a phase where we watch, like, all of his movies. All, even The Happening? No, I mean, not the, bad, <laughs> not the bad ones. We watch Signs in the Village. Do you watch Devil? The one in the elevator? Oh, we do. We like that one. I went to see that in theaters. On an afternoon with Brandon... We were the only two in the theater. Ah! It was so scary. Yeah. We liked that one. And then uh, Split. Oh. That one's really good. James McFoy. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I like him. You like him too, right? I like him. He's one of your like celebrity crush guys, isn't it? No. I mean, he's cool. Like, I'd invite him to dinner. (laughs) I feel like he was your like top three crush list in college. Maybe. (laughs) I honestly don't. What does he look like? (laughs) Had you recently watched Atonement? Because that'll make you fall. Oh, you're talking then. about James McAvoy. <laughs> I thought you were talking about M. Night Shyamalan. <laughs> <laughs> this whole time, I was like, what? <laughs> I'm going to die. <laughs> yes, you are 100% accurate. James McAvoy, yes, celebrity crush. Oh, Not my right. Shyamalan. I'm never going to move on from this. It's <laughs> <laughs> so great. My tears are running into my sweat. <laughs> no. Uh, okay. I will now read this review from Jessica. Yep, go ahead. If I ever have to read the words solar plexus again, it'll be too soon. <laughs> This book is not the gritty, fantastical murder mystery readers are led to believe. I would leave one-star reviews, but the good people of Goodreads deserve to know what they're getting into. A-H-W... Oh. A-H-W-P. A History of Wild Places. Yeah. Is about a bunch of medically illiterate sheeple living in a commune who are afraid of rain and a speculative rot. But how do they rinse off the poisonous rain or water their gardens? Or, I don't know, stay hydrated. That's true. I know. I know. A lot of reviewers pointed this out. Okay. <laughs> Gotta drink the rain, right? Yep. 
I appreciate what the author is trying to achieve with the whole unreliable narrator slash Shyamalan approach, but I'd prefer they pick a lane in terms of plot or genre. I'll read about cults living off the land, or a detective who can see ghosts, or the lives of people who are not what they seem, but altogether, a heaping mess. There's a slew of pointless prose that doesn't move the plot forward. It's all just regurgitation of the exact same whiny thoughts about smells, sounds, and secrets. <laughs> smells, sounds, and secrets. I've I like that list of stuff. Yep. I don't know why. The world building is also underwhelming, which doesn't bolster these idiots' justification for voluntarily living in such an archaic manner. I wish I had a better reason to root for the characters that they were actually choosing a remote lifestyle as an act of resilience, not cowardice. And don't even get me started on the plot twist. I saw it a mile away, and it's still mind-numbingly unrealistic. Don't forget, guy who was oh, really... Oh, that's, that's my <laughs> I'm gonna read it. Don't forget guy who is really salty about growing lemons and corn and coffee and pine trees all in one location. That was another <laughs> review I was gonna bring up. It was very poorly written with many run-on sentences, but sure. he was so upset about the fact that, like, you could not grow lemon trees in the same place where you have pine trees. <laughs> and also corn, <laughs> which is all the things they're growing. Sure. Um, maybe lemon and pine trees, California, but but corn and coffee, I think that's I a no. He that's was a so no. upset about it. Yeah. And I was this, like, you know, you're not wrong, guy. Yeah, this is a horticultural major who was like, nope. Yeah. And that's the, really funny. The, I like that I just read your notes. Yeah, it's cool. The world building of Pastoral was a little... It was supposed to be this big commune, but I only ever knew, like, five of the characters. Mm-hmm. And they're afraid of rain, but obviously have no... And you see Kala digging in her herb garden, but that's really it. Nobody else is doing any work that you know of. And yeah. you're like, how are you surviving? I don't know. But anyway. I just... I had a fun time with it. Yeah. So it was... It's a it's I gave a it half read. a star more than you did. Like... Yeah. We're basically on the same page. Sure. <laughs> But we tore it apart anyway. For fun. <laughs> That's what we do. Why not sit in a sweltering hot room and tear uh, apart decent-ish books? <laughs> okay. We're really doing the world a favor. We are. You're welcome. <laughs> okay. Tell us what we're reading next time. Next week, I we're going back to the beginning. Ooh. I have assigned Stephanie another Kazuo Ishiguro book. Episode one. Mm-hmm. This one is very different. Okay. It's called The Buried Giant. I'm excited just to, you know, hear a different book from this person. I'm excited to talk about one of my favorite authors now that I know a little bit about what I'm doing. <laughs> <laughs> Remember the first time when we had no idea what we were nope, doing? I want to I revisit that. <laughs> <laughs> we will talk to you again next week. Thank you for listening to You Might Hate This Book. Join us again next week for more discussion of the books we love. And the books we hate. You can help others find this podcast by leaving us a review and a five-star rating. And don't forget to hit subscribe. You can offer additional support and earn cool perks by joining our Patreon at patreon.com slash hatethisbookpod. Special thanks to Montague Workshop. See you next week. Winston is about to do some puzzling. Yep, noses. <laughs>